0: love me? I'm not asking you that question just to, let's relieve that awkward tension. Maybe to that woman I'm asking it, but no one else. Um, Do you love me? It's an interesting question and it's the interplay in this text. I've been trying to put myself in the feet of the disciples and the feet of Jesus and wondering what this looked like. I'm a dad, I have four kids, and if one of my kids comes up to me and says, dad, do you love me? um i usually have a question back for them what have you done or what do you want it depends if my girls come up with a smile and say dad do you love me what do you want it's yours i'm easily manipulated my love is for sale as long as it's five dollars and under (laughs) my boys they come up a little bit downcast dad do you love me what have you done what have you broke how much does it cost But the difference in this text is it's the parent asking the child, do you love me? It's the rabbi asking the student, do you love me? It's the risen son of God asking his denying disciple, his fractured friend, do you love me? Now... This is an invitation. This question, I believe, to repentance and restoration. So, not to catch you off guard. In about 15 minutes, I'm going to ask some of you in this room to stand to your feet and acknowledge that you need to be repent. You need to repent. And you need to be restored to Jesus. Now, I know what you're thinking. Whoa, whoa, Chris, easy now. This is a midweek worship service. I just come here because the music is loud and the sermons are short, okay? I didn't come here for some confrontational gospel where you're trying to count numbers to make yourself feel better about yourself. I used to be a youth communicator for 15 years, and this was the moment we'd always make guilt people into standing up and making decisions they never lived through with anyway, just so we could all feel better about ourselves in the event. That's not what I'm doing, okay? I'm just giving you fair warning that from the second I read this text three weeks ago, I sense the Holy Spirit said to me, people need to be restored. And they need to repent. And they need to see a Jesus who asked them the question with fire in his eyes. Do you love me? And I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you just got back from school and you spent a semester burning it to the ground. I don't know if you're in the middle of a relationship that you're denying Jesus every single day that you're in it. I don't know if you've just been simply distracted by good things, but by lesser things. And you've slowly begun to deny that your true allegiance is to Jesus. But now in about 13 minutes, I'm just going to say, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And here's exactly what I'm going to do, because I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm simply going to ask you three questions straight from Jesus's mouth. Do you love Jesus? You'll say yes. I'm going to say, do you love Jesus? You'll say yes. Do you love Jesus? You'll say yes, and then I'll say, follow him. Does that sound bold and assertive a little bit? But sometimes I think we need a bold and assertive mercy and grace in response to the love of Jesus Christ. I think it breaks his heart that so many of his followers are floundering around in self-condemnation, pity, and shame. Maybe it's time for us to stand back up and reclaim our rightful roles as sons and daughters and disciples of Jesus, pastors of the peace, ushers of the kingdom of God, full of power and authority. Before I do that, let's live in these pages just a little bit. It's unbelievable what happens when you live in scripture, it begins to live and breathe in you. I'll show you a picture, this is the place where they believe this has happened. There's a church that was built there by the Byzantine Empire, it's known as the place of the coals. There's literally a rock that they believe that Jesus... Um, cooked breakfast for his disciples on and it goes in through the side of the church and comes up to the altar but here's what it would have looked like at daybreak this is the sea of galilee with the sun rising up over the mountain and to help paint this picture i've read from this book before a you guys it's called the book of god by walter wagner jr and it's a guy with an incredible gift of imagination and master of the english language and he writes scripture as if it was a novel. And so I'm going to ask him to help us paint the scene that we've just arrived at, and I'll let him help us finish it up in just a couple minutes. But This is from Simon Peter's perspective after the resurrection and after his denial. I let my beard grow back. The first days I was too s- sad to shave. I didn't think about it. But then the Lord rose from the dead exactly as he said he would. Exactly, you see, as he said, which is part of the problem. Because I never really paid attention to that same because I didn't believe he would die. So how could I even consider that he would come back to life again? But he did, exactly as he said he would. Rise up from the dead, and he appeared in person before us, and I was astonished, speechless. I was so glad for him, and so overjoyed for the whole world. But yet at the same time, I was sick inside myself. I can't describe this. It's impossible. Nothing is greater than this. God is here. God is in Jesus. The kingdom of God begins with Jesus. And as much as I know that, as much as I love it and believe it, that's how much I loathe myself. That's how horrible I feel. Because I will never enter that kingdom. I don't deserve to. I gave up my right. I denied my Lord. I rejected him to save myself. Do you understand this? It's at the time of crisis that truth comes out. And I'm the one who swore that he did not know Jesus. So after the first days, I let my beard grow on purpose. It would be hypocrisy to think that I could be like my Lord anymore. He goes on to detail about how they decide to go back fishing, and Peter just wanted something strenuous for his body to do so that he wouldn't have to think. They fish all night. He doesn't even care that they don't catch anything. The Lord appears on the shore. John shouts out, Simon. It's Jesus. Impetuously, he jumps into the water, swims to shore, gets there first, but feels stupid and unworthy while he sits in front of Jesus while he prepares them breakfast. Jesus said, Bring me some of the fish. Come have breakfast with me. We sat. Jesus sat among us. He served us one after the other. He served me last, and I couldn't eat. Neither was he eating. He kept looking at me. Oh, those eyes, dead, level, and lidded. He would not stop looking at me. I wanted to crawl away, and I would have. But he opened his mouth, and he spoke to me. Do you love me? What do you think Peter feels in this moment? What do you feel after you've denied Jesus? By what you said or not said? And yet you find Jesus locking eyes with you and asking you that question. Do you love me? Imagine he's doing this in earshot of the other disciples. I mean, we're not even past John 13 where Peter had boldly proclaimed, I will never deny you. I'll die before I deny you. And then in John 18, all of his disciples find out that he's denied him. And now in John 21, here he is, his humiliation being born in front of all the other people that he pointed to and said, I'm better than him, 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 and him. All of them may deny you, but I never will. And he denies him three times. And Jesus brings the fire of Peter's failure to the coals of confession. And he invites him in with this question, do you love me? It's an invitation to repentance and restoration. Peter just says, in the first, there's this interesting, what I think is a provocation, perhaps a taunt, a testing. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? What's he doing? Is the old Peter still in there? The one who relies on his bravado, his discipline, his self-will, his ability to go further, faster, and farther than anyone else. No matter who denies you, I alone will stand. Peter, do you love me more than these still? why they're all listening to the denying disciple. And it's in in this sense that Peter just says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He doesn't take the bait. He doesn't point. He doesn't blame. He doesn't compare. No longer is he getting his identity based on other people but himself. And in that moment, it's almost as if his answer is, yes, Lord, I love you. But you know it's weak, it's imperfect, and it's full of holes. But what I've got, I'm giving to you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And it happens again. And then it happens a third time. And by the third time, I'm sure he's cluing in. Jesus is asking me three times because I denied him three times. And it says in the text, Peter was grieved. Peter was hurt that the Lord would ask him three times. Men and women, sometimes Jesus is going to hurt you before he heals you. Because he's not going to let that failure smolder. He's going to bring it out. He's going to give you the gift of confession and restoration. Because we just like to bury things up and think, ah, it's okay. I really don't need to deal with any of that kind of stuff. But Jesus, who is intensely loving and tender and direct in this passage, goes right after it. He's bringing them back to the start. He knows that all of us as Christians are going to need to begin again at some time. He knows that all of us are going to need to be reminded of who we are, that all of us who follow Jesus will fail at some point in time. And he's taking them back to the start. He's got the coals that signify the fire over which Peter denied him. He's called him Simon, son of John, not Peter, to take him back to who he was before he met Christ. And he's on the very shore where he first called him. And Jesus recalls him, follow me. It's still true. There's still a place. Even for those of us who feel disqualified and disinherited based on of our inability to live up to the standards that God has for us. If we will repent and be restored, the call will come again. Follow me. There is a place for you in my kingdom. Now Jesus really didn't have to have this conversation with him, did he? Isn't he being a little bit of a condescending adult? Sit down, Peter, in front of all your brothers and sisters here, and let's walk back through this, all right? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Do you love me? Is Jesus vindictive? Is he doing it just to make an example out of him? He could have just waved his magic wand from Ollivanders and just gone, hey, you're forgiven. It never even happened. Poof, 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 we're good but he doesn't. I want you to imagine for a minute what it would be like if Peter never had this conversation with Jesus, that they never addressed his failure. I think one of two things would have happened to Peter. He would have doubled down on his bravado and his zeal. He would have packed that failure and that secrecy and that shame, and he would have been the staunchest disciple, leader you had ever seen. And when you came across him, you better not cross him. He would be unforgiving with failure. He would be inflexible for those who compromise. And he would not tolerate fools lightly. I bet he never would have went to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10 and understood that the Holy Spirit is also for the Gentiles. In Galatians chapter 1, when Paul, a persecutor of their church, came to spend 15 days with him, he wouldn't even have let him got through the front door. And then in Galatians chapter 2, when Paul has to openly rebuke Peter for sitting with just the Jews, do you think the echoes of, do you love me, are still ringing in his ear? Because now his pride has been purified into humility. On the coals of his confession and through the fire of his failure. Hey, future leaders, some of the most significant things that you're going to go through are your failures. Stop hiding them stop running from them, and take them straight to the feet of Jesus. It is the anvil on which he shapes our character, so why are we so ashamed of them? He did it for the leader of his first church, and he'll do it for you again. It is part of the process of following Jesus, and if you're going to continue to follow him, his grace and his mercy have to actually be real. If not, Peter never has this conversation. All of his preaching is just licking the pictures in the cookbook for a recipe he's never tasted. When he talks about love, mercy, and forgiveness, he's selling something he's never experienced. Or he never has this conversation with Jesus, and he withdraws. Shoulders perpetually slumped, faced eternally downcast. One who does not think very highly of themselves and wallows around in the slop of their unworthiness and wears the fact that they failed like some form of perverted Protestant penance of which they will never be worthy to be reinstated in the kingdom of God again and self-hatred and self-depression consume him and other people misinterpreted As religious piety. Or. He has this conversation. And he looks Jesus dead in the eyes. And realizes. That the fire of his failures. Can be confronted on the coals of confession. And that repentance and restoration. Are the hallmarks of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only is Christ risen. He's inviting Peter to rise again. Rita Snowden was a prolific author in Methodist circles in the 1900s. She wrote over 84 books. She said this, if you ask me what forgiveness means, it means being trusted again by him in the place that I disgraced him. And some of you in this room tonight need that wonder opened up before you that in the very place you have disgrace, denied, and abandoned Jesus, he's coming to you again and asking you the question, do you love me? I want you to listen again to Walter Wagner and Jr. do what only he can do. And listen to the wonder of forgiveness. Oh, those eyes, dead, level, and lidded, he would not stop looking at me. I wanted to crawl away, and I would have. But he opened his mouth and spoke to me. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. I think I shouted the answer. I came to it immediately, all on its own. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He neither smiled nor blinked. Solemnly, he said, feed my lambs. Did he mean it? Was he granting me a place with him? I held that notion very tenderly, very uncertainly. Still, he did not stop staring at me, and he spoke again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The same words, a second time, carefully, because I meant it, and I wanted him to believe that I meant it. I said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. Even then, this wasn't over. He kept looking at me, and now I knew it was coming, and it did come. For the third time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I bowed my head and began to cry like a child. He was asking, and he was telling both. He knew, he knew, he knew how many times I had said I didn't even know him. He knew. I couldn't raise my face to his And I said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. There was a great silence after that. Someone was moving, but no one said anything. And then I felt a hand on my shoulder. Jesus was kneeling in front of me. He crooked his finger beneath my chin and lifted my head. And he looked through my tears, and I saw his eyes filled with such kindness But I only cried harder. He said, feed my sheep. Yes, Jesus was offering me a place in the kingdom. Be a shepherd of my flock. Yes, Lord. Yes. I nodded. I understood. And so then he stood up, and he said to me all over again what he had said at the very beginning. Follow me. A band's going to come up. We're going to play and we're going to sing. But before we do that, we're about 15 minutes. And there's some of you who need to stand and repent and be restored. I'm not going to belabor the point. I trust that the Lord has already ordained who it is that needs to respond. In this moment, it's not about me. It's not about numbers. It's about giving you space to respond to the Holy Spirit. And know that somehow I need to stand before God and before Jesus and respond to the question, do you love me? There's no condemnation in this place. It's just a place where we want to be able to fully and freely, bravely and boldly respond when Jesus calls. So if you're in a season where there's been failure and denial and distraction and you wanna repent and be restored based off of the words of Jesus, would you stand to your feet? Guilt and shame off of you. I'm going to ask you three questions on behalf of Jesus. If you'll just reply, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I think nothing's more fitting than to experience this text in this way. Do you love Jesus? Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Then follow him. Repent. Be restored. Be reconciled. Take the fire of your failure straight to the coals of confession find a Jesus who was crushed for your iniquities, who was wounded for your healing, and who is not surprised at the dark, deep secrets of your heart. You are loved beyond comprehension. And do not let the enemy sideline you and sabotage your unique gift to the kingdom.